And when someone feels safe, they're able to fully engage in life. When someone's experiencing agoraphobia, their world continues to progressively become smaller and smaller and sometimes limiting them to such an extent that they lose all quality of life. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Bill Emmeheiser, and you're listening to Mental Health You, the podcast dedicated to demystifying and destigmatizing mental health issues. So if you or someone you know is struggling with depression, anxiety, trauma, or some other mental health issue, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to today's episode. I am super excited to introduce our special guest, Kim Grauerdowling. Kim is a licensed professional clinical counselor specializing in trauma and anxiety disorders. With her compassion, extensive qualifications, and unwavering passion, Kim is dedicated to helping individuals navigate the complexities of mental health. Join us as we delve into her insights on agoraphobia and learn about her innovative approach through the Open Doors Telehealth Treatment Group. Welcome, Kim. How are you? I am super fantastic, um, and I'm also really excited to be here today. Well, we are excited to have you. Before we get going too far, can you tell us a little bit about your professional experience? Yeah, I'm about 17 years into being a licensed professional clinical counselor, and I've had the opportunity to work with people with so many life experiences. And one of my first opportunities was working with survivors of domestic violence. And I am just in awe of our clients and what they're able to do to manage their particular circumstances. And one of the many things that I've noticed is that when someone experiences unresolved trauma, Uh, Anxiety is a prominent symptom as part of the aftermath, and that can have a lot of different flavors, including agoraphobia. What inspired you to focus specifically on agoraphobia, and why is it so crucial to address? All right. So so when people experience that uh, unresolved trauma, um, one of those anxieties can be agoraphobia. And when someone feels safe, they're able to fully engage in life. When someone's experiencing agoraphobia, their world continues to progressively become smaller and smaller, and sometimes limiting them to such an extent extent that they lose all quality of life. For our listeners who may not know what agoraphobia is, can you kind of give us an overview of of what agoraphobia is and how it might differ from other anxiety disorders? Yeah. Uh, All of our emotions are there for a good purpose. And when we're talking about helpful anxiety, that might be um, able to observe a new environment, get the lay of the land, have a heightened awareness before an exam or in a competition, or have anticipation of something exciting adding to life. An anxiety disorder interferes in life in some way, and it's unhelpful and detracts from our life. And some examples of anxiety disorders about um, our phobias or social anxiety, agoraphobia is specific to having a fear of or an anxiety about being unable to escape or avoid a perceived situation to safety. Um, Often we hear about someone who does not leave their home, sometimes for years, 
because that's their perceived place of safety. But it also could be a fear of not being able to get to safety in a big open space uh, with no one being able to help or in crowded places with not being able to get out to help, such as like at concerts or in planes, buses, trains, um, or really commonly grocery stores, um, or being in an enclosed space and feeling out of control. Um, Agoraphobia is an extreme fear of feeling out of your comfort zone and not being able to escape to safety. I'm thinking about your new group, Open Doors Telehealth Group that addresses the unique challenges of individuals uh, with agoraphobia. Can you tell me what what makes this group an effective solution for folks with agoraphobia? So it's it's fabulous for people with agoraphobia because they can start out in telehealth already in their perceived safe place. So that's part of what makes it gentle. Um, And they don't need to visually expose themselves if they don't want to in the beginning. So they can get used to hearing the sounds of other people's voices. And, you know, eventually we're going to encourage them to um, be brave enough to open up their camera. Um, And so that kind of starts the treatment right from the very first session because we're encouraging them and supporting them and they can see by the end of the session that they've made a real step. Um, The safer an individual feels, the more open they become to challenging themselves and the curriculum provides a guided way to do that. Before telehealth, right? People may not have ever engaged in treatment. They may not feel safe enough to even go to mm-hmm. a therapist's office and start that process. So now we can we can reach them through your Open Doors uh, group, telehealth group, right in their home, which is a great place to start. If somebody suspects they might be, that, that they might have agoraphobia, what are some signs that they should look out for? And when is the right time to seek professional help? Well, if someone is noticing that their world is starting to get smaller and smaller and they're feeling less and less safe, um, or if something's excluding you from what you used to be able to do, it's definitely time to reach out and we're here to help. So are there specific techniques or strategies that you would recommend for managing and coping with agoraphobia on a day-to-day basis. And and I'm really thinking about those people who may not have immediate access to professional help, almost like if you were giving some self-help tips for somebody, what what are some ideas that maybe somebody could utilize? Okay, so if they're serious about doing the exposures, then the first step is to make a list of their feared situations, um, rate the associated fear or anxiety level. So let's say if 10 is the worst and zero is nothing, they're going to rate each of those situations and break it down and then break it down some more. We want to get to the simplest of the simple um, in order to make progress and to not have so much fear that we don't make any steps at all. Um, So if someone's limited to their room, maybe they consider repeatedly getting to the bedroom door 
until the anxiety mm. level is maybe a two out of 10. Um, and then maybe they step through the bedroom d door and then repeat, repeat, repeat until they're feeling more and more comfortable and then push themselves to stand at the top of the stairs. Well, right? this is, yeah, these are like, these are very action oriented. Sometimes people think of therapy as I show up and I talk about things, but what you're advising sounds like it's a very, uh, like I actually have to, if I want to get on the other side of agoraphobia, I need to actually practice being uncomfortable. Is that, is that accurate? Absolutely. Because we habituate to things. If mm. we got bitten by a dog as a little kid, if we weren't in a situation where there was a helper or some way for us to feel safe, we might as a little kid assume that all dogs are dangerous. And so if we habituate ourselves to safety, we will mm. feel safe. Um, so maybe if I have a fear of being in an enclosed space, like getting on the bus, you know, maybe I'm listening to sounds of the bus after I felt safe looking at pictures of a bus. Um, maybe I look at the bus route and initially I'm going to plan a safe bus route for myself. Um, right. But maybe eventually I just say, okay, I'm going to take this line and get off at this stop. Um, but if I prepared myself step by step and I feel safe, then logically I can also think about I am safe. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very interesting that this is not a, you're not suggesting that people have to go right out and kind of jump in the deep end, if you will, where it becomes overwhelming and I think that's one of the neat things about your Open Doors telehealth uh, group is that you really do. You're starting at maybe the safe where they, a person feels the safest. And then you, these self-help tips that you're giving would be, you know, if they're having difficulties within their own home. And we know that sometimes people with agoraphobia, it's difficult for them to navigate their own home in some very severe cases. So just practicing going into other rooms and then practicing going outside and then maybe practicing getting on a bus if that's one of the things that they're uh, having difficulty with. Um, and just practicing over and over and over again. And it makes me think about um, maybe family members that know that they have a, a family member that has agoraphobia. And I'm thinking, what is some advice or, or what, what suggestions would you have for friends or family members who want to support someone who's dealing with agoraphobia? How, how can they contribute positively to their loved one's recovery? So I think, uh, you know, it can be a very frustrating situation for family members um, because someone might say, I cannot go out without you. And so they have to or feel they have to adjust their schedule. So I think the most important thing is to freely give praise and support. And if someone has a challenge, encourage them to go back one step and repeat until mm. they feel comfortable and then try the next step again. And reinforcing behaviors that are encroaching on their well-being, like assuming that they can't do anything without their safe person or their safe object, is not honoring their dignity. Mm. So maybe yeah. to put it in a different frame of mind completely, 
listen to them and understand it's a process. And if they need assistance, which is mm -hmm. different than reinforcing dependence and um, carrying out one of their practice experiments, be there for them. Yeah. Because yeah, I would assume, right? So I've worked with folks in the past, and maybe you can talk a little bit about this, where um, the family member or the friend, the significant other becomes the quote unquote safe person. As long as this person goes with me, I can do things. However, the person then, I mean, so now you're dependent upon another person mm -hmm. now to get out of the house and you're dependent upon them for your, your feeling, your sense of safety. What if that person is sick or needs to go on vacation or is not available, um, can't go out with that person? I would assume that that puts a, like, like that support person, that's a lot of, of, a, of a burden. I don't want to use the word burden. Maybe that's like, but it, I can't imagine that it's a healthy or long-term would be a healthy solution for the family member to constantly and always be the safety person to cart someone around and, and go to every location where they might not feel safe. Can you talk a little bit? I mean, like, is that, should family members stop doing that? Or uh, is that, what, what would you recommend to the family member that feels that's that safety person? Family members want to be part of the support plan, right? So if we plan to go to the grocery store um, in the middle of the night with our support person because that's what we can do, that's what we do initially. And then we move it up to a busier time. And then we move it up to maybe the support person is standing at the front of the store but not with them. And then the support person might wait outside the, st outside the store, but the plan is always, I will feel safe without this person because I want to live my own life. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I love the, I love the, uh, that it's a progression that, that mm -hmm. people can, it's not stopping cold turkey. It's like, okay, get in the car and go by yourself. It's that you, know, you you're slowly, but surely that person, that support person, uh, start stepping away a little bit so you can support your, your loved one through the process of healing and getting better. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool. And I, again, just thinking about how useful your group is going to be to start that process and how many people you might be able to reach who, um, would in the past before telehealth might not even reach out and get help. And that kind of makes me think about some of the misconceptions or myths about mental health in general. Are, what are some of the misconceptions or myths around agoraphobia? Um, and how can we work to educate the public and reduce stigma around this condition? Well, I think, uh, you know, again, maybe because of family stress um, that people who are in a position where they're asking their family members or other safe people to do errands for them, um, that they're lazy or irresponsible mm. or babied or scary, you know, that mm -hmm. they're scary people. Um, there are reasons for every behavior that we have. And in the moment, they're adaptive. Um, and right. we want to work to change the ones that are no longer working for us in the moment. How can people reach out, contact you, or get more information about agoraphobia or, or about your uh, Open Doors Telehealth Treatment Group? Uh, 
anyone can always go to the Unison website. That is just always the easiest, I think, um, mm -hmm. to go to unisonhealth.org. And uh, if you're good at remembering things, unisonhealth.org um, forward slash open doors. Mm -hmm. um, and my Contact information will also be on the website, um, and I'm really looking forward to um, meeting anyone who thinks that they might benefit from the Open Doors program. Well, Kim, it has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise. It's always a pleasure to have you on. I know I'm going to have you on again because we have you on the schedule uh, to chat about uh, social phobia and social anxiety. Thank you, Bill. Um, I'm so glad to talk about agoraphobia and that Open Doors is here to help. Uh, to our listeners today, I hope that we provided you with some value. And until next time, have a super fantastic day. This podcast has been brought to you by Unison Health. Unison Health is a nonprofit mental health agency dedicated to serving the Northwest Ohio community for the past 50 years.